0: I'm Alex Shaw.
1: I'm Sharon Shaw. And And welcome welcome to to...
0: School of Movies. (laughs) Dueling Pinocchios Part 2. Guillermo del Toro and Friends.
2: I want to tell you a story. It's a story you may think you know, but (laughs) you don't. Over there! What is that? He's just a puppet! No, I'm not! I'm a real boy! People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. I don't understand! Ah! We have found him! Our star! Everyone shall love you and call your name Pinocchio. Pinocchio! I have something I'd like to give you. It is a school book which belonged to a very special boy. The boy you lost? Papa! Enough of this nonsense. Hey, where are you going? You tell him I love
0: him. And I won't be a burden anymore.
2: Hello?
3: The wooden boy with the borrowed soul.
1: While you may have eternal life, your loved ones, they do not.
2: You never know how long you have with someone until they're gone. The boy loves you for who you are.
4: Guide him to be
1: good.
3: I control you. Please bring
2: him back to me. Papa!
0: Pinocchio! Life is such a wonderful gift. Once again, welcome and thank you to our special guest this week, Victoria Luna B. Grieve. Hi. So the del Toro version, this one was heavily influenced by the illustrations of Gris Grimley for the 2002 publication of the original book by Collodi. And the script, which languished in, and I always like to call it development purgatory, because if it's going to go somewhere for a while, that it's not really doing anything, that's what purgatory is, it's not development hell for years and was co-written by del toro and patrick mchale who made over the garden wall which explains quite a lot of the creepy imagery in this gdt noted that no other character has resonated with him throughout his life than this wooden boy which makes this movie like the 2019 version a long-time passion project so given that all of us have seen a bunch of pinocchio material what does the gdt one do Overtly differently from the rest.
3: The biggest thing that struck me is the first what 15-20 minutes is building an emotional character with Geppetto's history. Like we get to meet his son that he loses, and we get to see scenes of them being together wherein we know that Carlo is going to die, and we keep think uh, I I anyway kept thinking like Oh, there's planes overhead. Are they going to bomb them? No, no, no. Oh, is that tree going to fall on them? Oh, no, no. no. And it was like, oh, God, like what happened? And then it's, oh, oh, it was fascism. Oh, no. And it it goes hard after that. But I I felt that, um, because then we get to see Geppetto be actually kind of consumed by his grief. And there's even like alcoholism moments. And he becomes this like pitiable figure in In the beginning of the movie, in a way that I've never seen um, a Pinocchio telling actually look into Geppetto much other than just like he lost a son, Presumably his wife is gone, doesn't usually get mentioned. and it's not mentioned in this one either. It's he's only worried about his son, which is fine. you know, who knows what that backstory is. But you could feel the emotion so much more, and it I, I love it because then that feeds directly into how the spirit brings Pinocchio to life. Like, he makes Pinocchio out of the tree that he planted on his son's death and his pine tree that he planted on his son's death, but they didn't have to explain it three times. <laughs> um, Chris it, I mean,
0: Pine! It, it, That's not going <laughs> to date like Maui saying. Uh, That's called a tweet in Moana. Uh,
3: but he like, does it all out of, like, grief and rage and just, like, self-loathing in a way that whenever the spirit shows up and is just, like, this poor forgotten man, I want to do something for him in a way that is, like, ethereal, ephemeral, like, you know, a spirit coming in and acting to help this person who we get to see and feel the pain and grief with, uh, and and then kind of seeing the ramifications of that, to me, has so much more of an emotional through line than one day I wished on a star and a fairy showed up and then stuff and then shenanigans occur. Like it, there was so much of like a cause and effect. I don't know how else to explain that. Yeah,
1: I think that you, you're really onto something there, Victoria. The, this build up of our connection with Geppetto, which is not... Customarily done to this level of depth, and I think the one one line that actually jumped out at me, uh, and again, the complete absence of focus on uh, Carlo's absent mother, Jiminy. Uh, I'm going to keep calling him Jiminy. Sebastian. Name Sebastian. Sebastian says that when Geppetto lost Carlo, they'd only been together for ten years. And that made me wonder if Carlo was a child that Geppetto had chosen rather than actually being his offspring.
4: Yeah.
1: And that mm. really then emphasises that he goes through a very similar journey with Pinocchio, if that's the case. It's not stated explicitly, but that's certainly a possibility. Mm. But the the focus on Geppetto and his backstory and how he came to be in this emotional state and... How that then becomes this drunken anger that causes him to manifest this wooden child really underpins this as a story about a flawed, yeah, a flawed parent and a naive child coming together at opposite ends of a relationship, but both of them have to do things in order to bridge that gap. It is not about a benevolent father who creates a son and then the son has to jump through hoops in order to prove that he is acceptable for being the sun.
4: Which
0: for all of its good intentions the uh, Zemeckis version winds up being. Absolutely. It's like he finally wins approval from Geppetto. Although Geppetto, having known him for four hours by the way uh mm-hmm. says that he never he didn't have to change or do anything. Anyway, and we already know this because Pinocchio's a decent kid who never makes bad decisions Indeed. but does get kidnapped a lot. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't want to tell the, I don't want to be like foretelling of bad stuff in the future but Geppetto better uh, handcuffed Pinocchio to himself because that kid's getting grabbed by the next group of people who are like, a wooden puppet that talks? Yeah. I can make so much money off that.
1: But, I mean, like I said, the um, one of the... the incidents that occurs in most of the other versions of the story that we've seen, so I'm assuming it's from the original book, but isn't in the Disney version at all, mm. is Pinocchio's feet burn off because he innocently leaves them too close to the fire because it feels nice I, and they're warm.
0: I think in the Disney uh, the Disney animated version, and I'll t- cut this out if it is not in fact the case that exactly the same as in the live-action version, Pinocchio sticks his finger in a right. candle flame gotcha. and it starts going on fire and Geppetto puts it out really quickly right. because the idea of burning a child's feet off, which, by the way, in the 2019 version is fucking horrifying. Is, this kid hideous, has yeah. got, like, burnt-off stubs because he falls asleep in front of the fire and he's he's crawling along the floor while his father's trying to get in. Roberto Benigni, remember? And he's like, "'Father, my fucking feet are gone.'" Please build me some more because... And and just the imagery of it is really sobering.
1: Yeah, but what... That incident then enables those stories to show is Geppetto making his first real cock-up as a parent, which is that he brings conditions into his caring for the child. He initially says, I will not make you new feet because you tried to run away, and if I give you new feet, you will run away.
0: That's fucking terrifying.
1: Exactly. And then you see him, you literally see the expression cross over his face going, oh no, that's terrifying. Terrible! I can't possibly do that to him, and so he makes. If you
0: love something, and... cut its feet off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely, um, but that—that's what I mean about the this story giving us examples of where Geppetto
0: has spilled into is, obsession repeatedly. Yeah,
1: he's, he is—he is not um, a, sort a of sweet a, old a, man. A pure. Well, he is, but he's not like a, an a vision of purity that gives Pinocchio this model for life that he needs to measure himself up against. It's not about that. It's about the two of them, both making mistakes and both finding their way around this unusual connection and making it work for the two of them. And I would say that's, like, the the biggest difference.
0: It should have been called Pinocchio and Geppetto. So many other films are just called Pinocchio. This one is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, but it almost seems like... You, like, you declare why it's different with its title mm. rather than just, this is my focus. Yeah,
1: potentially so. Um, one other thing that I would say is significantly different as well is that the, and I mentioned this already, the wood from which Pinocchio is made, as Victoria outlined, the child Carlo who's died selected a pine cone and Geppetto plants that next to his grave that grows into a pine over the course of i think it's supposed to be about 20 years it's the it's the distance between world war one and world war two put it that way
0: it's 1916 and 1936 so it is precisely 20, 20 years. years
1: okay so um, so here you have this living tree that has come from carlo's spirit that is is sort of this connection to the natural world that gives you this real sense that Pinocchio comes out of a a greater thing than just Geppetto's design.
3: Yeah, there's a really... Like, on that note, there's such a really fun juxtaposition between, like, pagan, like, natural spirit imagery and the Catholicism. Because, like, the... When Carlo dies that means that the crucifix that he had been working on remained unfinished for 20 years. Uh, And it like a physical representation of the stasis that he was in because of his grief. And he finishes it with Pinocchio and, and it's like showing like kind of the beginnings of him healing from the, the, the grief and the trauma and the stasis that he had been in um, for all of that time. It's just, uh, ah, there's, like, such a rich tapestry in just the first, like, 20 minutes. Also,
0: if uh, Pinocchio, and I know you've uh, got a uh, a running theme of nature here, which is actually a theme rather than an incident disguised as a theme. Yes. Uh, If Pinocchio is nature and could, in fact, be connected to paganism and all kinds of, like, green man but green boy, uh, he looks up at Jesus and goes, everyone likes him, why don't they like me? Mm-hmm. And he is brought life by a giant goat looking thing's sister which is a sort of a nature sprite absolutely
1: mm-hmm. so the I, I, the, oh, I, I, sorry, I think you on. mean Tilda Swinton uh, yes <laughs> uh, Tilda, well, it, Tilda Swinton who is literally a nature sprite
0: yes
3: yes exactly I mean I, there are so many things in this movie that my notes are just wow this is gender like oh. I loved the nature Sprite. I loved the Sphinx. I loved the the rabbits. I loved so much of it, but but it's that uncanniness. Anything that is supernatural in this film is uncanny in a a a different way, not in the valley way of the previous one, in the sense that, ah, oh, I have seen this man who is his locked in stasis and forgotten by society. I will give him his son in a way that, like, well, of of course this will work. And it's shot like a horror sequence. The the Sphinx in The the Desert of Death really only, like, describes rules fairly arbitrarily, but is otherwise like, oh, my sister just being such trouble again. And just what the heck is going on here? Like, we are unraveling the like, the, the fundamental mechanism of reality, and you're, like, pretty blase about it. Like, what were those rabbits doing? I don't understand what is happening. Mm. But but it is uncanny because, um, like, the humans essentially with the Catholicism are, like, worshipping humanity. Like, it is, it is a human is the idol of which they worship, which ties into the fascism that we'll get into while all of the supernatural which is not to
0: say that all christians are, are fascists folks
3: no no yeah. no no. but there, there's a juxtaposition going on here mm-hmm. that i i think is meaningful because the, the the supernatural is distinctly inhuman and almost like trying to understand humanity and like making rules for itself that doesn't really like make sense to the human players in it mm-hmm. and and Pinocchio ends up being a, a, a creature that kind of straddles that world so much more than in the other iterations because he's you know parts of him can be destroyed and rebuilt he doesn't really feel pain he can die and come back multiple times but he has emotions he, he has like all of the elements that make you human and even in the end like he is still like a being of both worlds yeah
1: absolutely and this this sort of overarching theme that that really started with watching the the GDT version but as we saw more takes on it it kind of felt like this was consistent throughout them is this idea of nature versus structure and it's it's shown in this conflict between allowing a child to exist according to their basic nature or shaping them to conform to what you want them to be. And what Pinocchio represents and and what Geppetto is able to develop his relationship with him to be is this third way of showing them love, which needs to be unconditional, demonstrate values in terms of what your values are, but accept that they may end up Adapting them for for their existence, which is not the same as yours, and giving them a sense of self determination, and that then enabling them to build on their basic nature and shape themselves. So this sort of there was an almost like um, a sense of the the tree, the wood that Pinocchio comes from, being his id. And this is his basic nature. This is what he emerges from the earth as. And the cricket is his superego. It's something that initially starts externally to him, but then he is able to take it inside himself. And in, in this version, which is I've not seen anything else, uh, Sebastian actually lives inside Pinocchio. That's he initially like sets up house in the hollow tree. And then when that tree is Changed into Pinocchio, Sebastian just stays.
0: He's not changed all the way. I love the organic nature of the literally organic oh, the nature of that. The design
1: is beautiful.
0: To be able to uh, m- just move the tree and turn it into a puppet, but it still retains that tree like uh, nurturing feel to it, mm. especially with where the movie goes with that. Um, Del Toro always found himself intrigued in the similarities between Carlo Collodi's, the adventures of Pinocchio and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Both stories tell of how a child is thrown into the real world and they are brought to life by a father who expects them to figure out by themselves essential values, such as the difference between good and bad. Now I had already written down, Geppetto just turfs Pinocchio out and sends him off to school and goes, you know, they'll teach you some stuff, but you can make all of your decisions based on the nothing I've taught you. Uh, like and it's it it annoyed Del Toro values such as the differences between good and bad morals ethics love and life in other words the ideas that make people humans themes that Del Toro felt reminded him of his childhood. The film was always crafted to be family friendly so that he could connect across generations and bring them out a sense of compassion a lesson Del Toro feels it is necessary for kids who are especially now demanded tremendous complexity nowadays. To me, it's essential that you counter the idea that you have to change into a flesh and blood child to be a real human. All you need to be human is to really behave like one. You know, I have never believed that transformation should be demanded to gain love. So to that end, on a superficial level, at least, Zemeckis' Pinocchio does at least abide by that. Mm. However, what this also has is striking out against one of the core themes of the book, which is, be a good little boy and do as you're told, because del Toro brings in fascism. And fascism says, be a good little boy, do as you're told, and then we won't shoot you.
1: Or specifically, be a good little boy, do as you're told, and then we can use you to shoot other people.
0: Indeed. And in this context, Pinocchio's disobedience is a virtue. When he makes fun of Mussolini to the immediate response of, shoot him, and he is shot and sent to uh, the afterlife and then comes straight back. But what he's effectively doing is speaking truth to power using crude poop and fart songs in a way that fascists cannot abide. Because the worst kind of man is most terrified that people will laugh at them. And like fascism cannot survive being laughed at. It can strike back and viciously hurt you to prevent that from happening. But if it's unable to stop you laughing, it can't survive that. And in that regard, this film isn't actually telling Pinocchio, be good, do as you're told. If anything, it's saying, be more like Pinocchio and say, fuck these guys. Although Pinocchio is extremely privileged with eternal life. (laughs)
3: <laughs> He's a and, Highlander, and that's exactly what i was uh, what my notes are what I was getting to before about how this, unlike every other version of Pinocchio I've ever seen, is all about how obeying arbitrary rules is bad, and that you need to, like stand up for what is right. And, and Pinocchio even says it right at the beginning. He just, but I don't want to obey. And it's just like, oh, okay, like we're doing something different here, and and I'm I'm excited about that.
1: There's a color uh, palette in this. Oh,
0: we've got some color theory.
1: We've Woo! Which, some um, of my favorite bits. It'll be interesting to see whether you picked up on the same things. But um, one thing that really hit me about this is how much the palette is the basic colors it is red yellow brown blue, and green and oh. brown which is a blend of all of them but the brown is kind of a more of a background um uh the the natural foothold that everything is balanced on okay so this was the how i broke this down uh, green is used, it, it's slightly more sparingly, and it's more towards the beginning of the film, but it's used when deceit is being employed. When Pinocchio's nose goes full pine tree, he has little spikes of green on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Volpe's waistcoat is green, and his caravan is green. And there are also green oil drums dotted around the circus Um
0: Environment, which seems odd if you're if you're considering it to be uh, nature and, and chaos versus structure and order.
1: Uh, yeah, but if then... nature you, is usually represented by green. Yeah, but if if you kind of it's it's a different kind of chaos, I suppose. If it's if it's something that you are being presented with as a good way to live, and it is in fact not a good way to live, it's kind of something that's disguising itself. So okay. I think that still fits. Um, the Oh, just speaking of Volpe, by the way, and we'll we'll come back to him. But this version, Del Toro's version, does something that I haven't seen done anywhere else, which is that he blends the, your three principal antagonists. Yes. Um. The the fox. Honest John and Mangiafuco are combined in this chap uh Volpe
0: mm. who also they uh, it, since the cat is not there they took any uh things that are relevant to Gideon and put them in there yeah, too Yeah
1: absolutely um, and he has uh, an accomplice called Spazzatura? Spazzatura, that's Spazzatura. Spazzatura the monkey, uh, who has some of the characteristics of Gideon, but does end up playing out a, mm. a different kind of character. So, yeah, so the green is all all seems to be focused around the circus and what's going on there. Once we're past the circus, it really does become primary colours. Everything is red, yellow or blue. The prominence of these colours made me interpret it in this way. Red is fascism, threat and control. So you've got the extremity of structure presented in um, a lot of the buildings. They put up posters everywhere around the town covering everything up and it all has, like, the text is in red, Uh, the podesta... Um, who's the the sort of he's the, the boss of the town, I suppose. He's the He's got
0: a red fasci armband.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's like, I suppose the Gestapo agent or the the Italian equivalent of who is and he's a resident of the town. He's not been stationed there by the army. He's somebody who's who's been present in the story from the word go. Um but he's got yeah, the red armband.
0: Side um, note, did you notice that he doesn't have a allora Italian accent to make it so that all the Italian people are bad? Hmm. It's American. He doesn't... It's Ron Perlman. He doesn't change it even in the slightest. And we
1: know Ron Perlman can do that accent because he did it in Name of the Rose.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And... But but also the gun he keeps pulling out resembles a Beretta 92F, which is a gun used repeatedly in American law enforcement. Mm. And they had Christoph Waltz. Yes. They had Christoph Waltz right there. He played uh, Hans Lander in Inglorious Bastards. He has an Austrian-German natural accent. He could absolutely have played this character. The fact that it's Ron Perlman, the fact that he's speaking in a very broad American accent with a gun frequently used in American cop thrillers Mm. is intentional, I believe, we are having to do a lot of this without the thing that really helped us on the GDT episodes. The commentaries. The commentaries. <laughs> because now we've all gone straight to streaming in our straight to streaming future. Even the Blu-ray of Nightmare Alley doesn't have the commentary on it.
1: OK, so that's Red. There are other flashes of Red that I th- that do sort of fit with this overall all control and structure being the... the... The thing that that colour is.
0: But what does yellow mean?
1: Right, yellow was the thing I was least sure of, and ironically, my conclusion ended up being that yellow is about uncertainty. So um, even the the blacks are kind of a brownish gold in certain scenes and they are often connected with i'm not sure how this situation's going to play out
0: so so you weren't sure what yellow was and then you were like aha
1: ah, it's uncertainty <laughs> so first off it's connected with um with cowardice and um red and yellow are the colors chosen when the boys get to the camp which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in more detail in a bit yes so that's that's sort of the main indicator But then you've got when they go into the ocean, Monstero is a browny yellow, blacky, blacky yellow. And
0: he's full of pus. And he's
1: full of this gross yellow fluid. And being inside him, there's this sort of overall, we don't really know what's going on or how to get out. It's sort of this these moments of doubt. And the bomb that Pinocchio ends up using to destroy him is also this sort of blackish gold. And the bombs that are
0: The bomb that falls the on the Ron Perlman's on, got a yellow tip.
1: Have have yellow tips on them as well. And this, I think, ties directly back to
0: control? And the opposition of control being the uncertainty that people who are desperate for control There is fear. that,
1: and them thinking that munitions will give them control, but an actual fact of explosive is one of the most unpredictable things you can get your hands on. Stop using them. <laughs> um, no. There
0: are places in Cambodia which cannot be walked on because of wars that took place decades ago.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, right. Del Toro Mm. said this was the third part of a trilogy that started with Devil's Backbone. So, in the Devil's Backbone, you have it's all framed around a bomb that no one knows whether it's going to go off or not.
0: For maximum subtlety, Del Toro literally reuses the same shot of the bomb doors opening and the bomb falling. The same bomb. Only this one, rather than falling in the middle of an orphanage and not going off wrecks Geppetto's entire life and takes Carlo away from the world.
1: Absolutely. So this is where I think he's bringing the yellow in. It is, a But it's the part... same
0: scenario of child death being the tragedy exactly. when fascism takes over.
1: Exactly. But I think it's it, the point is it's part of the fascism, it's part of the the people who are trying to control everything, but it's utilising tools that even they cannot have full control over.
3: I, I, there's, a, there's, a, there's a step deeper, I think, too, because um fascism is inherently a response to the uncertainty of the world.
1: (gasps) Yes, yes.
0: Fascists clamp down harder when they're more uncertain. When they're like, I don't know how to control this. This is chaotic. I'm just going to shoot it. The,
3: the, The trick is, like, we're even seeing this today with the rise of fascism in a bunch of different countries because against the uncertainty of the existential threat of something like climate change, your two options are either Barbary, which would be fascism, or... Uh, Like solidarity, which would be more leftist causes, I would say. I mean, perhaps I'm bleeding a little too much of my own bias into that statement.
0: No, fascists are not really into solidarity as is proved rather pertinently in one significant (laughs) scene of
3: this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it's just the idea that, like, fascism spawns from the uncertainty of the world and then the uncertainty of the world inevitably will kind of push back and or destroy it in in a way you spend your whole lives
0: trying to stop the bomb from becoming and for who for (laughs) what
1: (laughs) and part of the point of, of sort of making this story being del toro feeling that children are obliged to engage with complexity these days far earlier than they would have done traditionally that there is there is no way now with the genie out of the bottle on the whole Mass communications to protect kids from having to engage with things being ridiculously complicated. I thought
0: you we were going to say fascists online. Well. That too.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's you know part of the whole thread. So
0: especially with certain billionaires making it so much easier.
1: <laughs> Indeed.
0: Oh, they're opening up all sorts of doors. So
1: then the third arm to this being blue, and blue is. That's solidarity, Victoria, the love and safety and to an extent compromise, but the thing that draws people together. And it's it's not always in a totally benign way. So uh, the examples that I noted down were Sebastian is blue. Uh, the when Geppetto goes. This is looking... the cricket,
0: not the crab.
1: Yes. When Geppetto goes looking for Pinocchio, he finds two balloons hovering around the circus area. There's a red one, which is now cinematic language for lost child. Yep. Uh, and then there's a blue one, which he takes with him. Um, The wood sprite and her sister death are blue, and the death world itself is full of blue sand. And while, again, that may not necessarily seem like the ideal place to find oneself, ultimately it is where everybody finds themselves and will potentially meet up again.
0: I, I hope you remember that giant solidarity solid wall of coffins...
1: Yeah, there we go. Everybody's in the same place. Effectively, <laughs>
0: we're all in this together, and this entire film is about death, so it's about what the hell we do together.
1: Yeah, until we get to that point. Um, and also, the the other big blue thing that brings them back together again is the ocean. When mm. Pinocchio falls into the water, it brings him to Geppetto, not through any doings of his own, but just because that's what it does. The, the ocean brings... The, the two of them happen to be in the same ocean at the same time, and it ends up bringing them back together.
0: It's going to be and, difficult for and, Pinocchio to find Geppetto in an entire ocean. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and,
3: and also, in uh, at least a, a symbolic sense, whenever they work together, when Candlewick and uh, Pinocchio work together in mm. the <laughs> Pleasure Island area, they tie their yellow and red flags together. And if we're working with only primary colours, the implication is that that would come together to be the third color that is missing yeah yeah good
0: point that specific moment in Pleasure Island do you want to talk it seems like you are itching to talk about Pleasure Island so you should yeah go for that oh sorry not Pleasure Uh, Island uh, Nazi child camp
3: (laughs) yeah yeah the moment that I realized that it was taking the place of Pleasure Island was just I I don't know it was just such a moment I, I don't I don't know if I have like a whole lot of like deep stuff to get into there. Cause it's just the idea of, again, all of these outside forces telling Pinocchio like what it is to make you a man. And he just outright refuses to believe that that is true. Uh, ba- basically the entire time. And that is like the pinnacle of it. The, and, and juxta- or. or I guess replacing Pleasure Island with this Nazi youth camp is certainly a lot more, like, grounded and believable because Pleasure Island, like, is just insane nonsense, kind of as we talked about previously. Like, it's just magic. And this one, the magic is so much more at the edges of what's going on that it needed to have something more grounded for that moment. And and thinking of it like, ah, yes, this is, like, Where you're going to go and you're going to do things and it's going to make you a man. And in the end, the reality is you're just a jackass is real relevant for a fascist uh, youth training camp. But the idea of the compromise, the compromise of of nature and humanity that is Pinocchio coming into that space that inherently overly arbitrarily rules uh, loving space causes kind of all of the, I don't want to call it magic, but there's like the misdirection, the uh, propaganda of the place, the kind of magic that all of the kids are there for unravels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in the end, they have that solidarity moment. I, I, There was a moment, especially after we see that Candlewick escapes uh, the bombings, and then we never see him again, which mm. is unfortunate. I, there was a moment where I near the end, whenever Pinocchio like dies and doesn't come back, that I thought Candlewick was going to show up, and he and Geppetto were going to like end up, like, choosing to be, like, a better father and son. And oh. in the end, oh. Geppetto would have gains been an the son, mm. but it is through this, like, really uh, bittersweet kind of, of process.
0: Mm. Because um, Pinocchio learns what it is and what it isn't to be a good father by observation. Mm. This Pinocchio's got his eyes open. Yeah.
3: Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And the examples coming through in the the camp of how that parallels up with Pleasure Island. I mean, I could be I could be reaching a little bit for some of these. By
0: the way, we can't call it Nazi camp. This was Italian fascism. That's not the same, but basically <laughs> it, the same. It was
1: watching Hitler and taking notes. But yeah,
0: KKK yeah. Nazis, yeah. Italian fascists. It all kind of boils down to cruelty for cruelty's sake Absolutely. and desperation for control.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing as well. It did occur to me that that the 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 massive nature of what Hitler and the Nazis did means that when people look at that period in history, they often neglect the other fascism that was going on around the edges. And ultimately, I'm saying he was watching Hitler and taking notes, Mussolini had been a fascist for... Decades. Yeah, he found funded was, the party. Yeah, it was it was really sort of integral to who he was. But it is the same kind of principle that that we want this um, safety in being a powerful country, mm. and this is how we're going to go about it. And
0: also, that Pan's Labyrinth and uh, The Devil's Backbone both deal with Spanish fascism. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Which I think came a little bit before, and then a little bit after. Mm-hmm. So it's it's that you know that whole. Um, Uh, network of this going on Um, but the the things that i noticed that do kind of have the the very definite parallels with the pleasure island construct were the idea of the paintball and capture the flag war games represent being pulled into unfair service through play yeah telling them Reminded me of Jojo this Rabbit. is a game. Yeah, absolutely. And when they're in fully invested in it, then saying, here's your real rifle, go out and do what we're asking you to do.
0: There's a specific moment when Candlewick's looking through uh, binoculars and then his friends get shot in the face and the chest with red paint from the other side, from Pinocchio's side. And Pinocchio's waving at him. But the, just the imagery right there is uh, World War One uh, trench warfare and yep. that is blood.
1: Yeah. Willow was... Completely smacked sideways by how suddenly realistic that looked.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and the other thing was the when they, they queue up to get sent out to actually engage in warfare, they're given gas rifles and gas masks. And the gas them. mask looks like a donkey snout. <sighs> and the rifles, the way they hold them... I mean, again, like I'm reaching, tails. but they look a little bit like they're carrying a tail. They are very long and thin.
0: So it's just work donkeys again. Yeah. We'll work you until you die. In some versions of the Pinocchio story, he pitches up on a farm and and Geppetto is sick, or in some versions, the Blue Fairy is sick, and she needs money now. And he has to work his ass off to save either someone he loves or someone that he respects and cares about, and that ultimately is what grants him the real boyness. But in at least one version, he finds that the farmer's donkey that's nearly worked itself to death is Lampwick slash Candlewick. Mm. <sighs> um, there's one specific moment in uh, the training camp that become uh, It's where Triumph turns to tragedy, the, where he and Candlewick are just are both like uh, succeeding at this war game, and they both climb a tower to uh, plant their flag, and they both get there at the same time and end up accidentally swapping flags and laughing, because Pinocchio's got some yellow paint on him tree sap and candlewick has some red paint on him blood and they're holding red and yellow opposing flags and then they laugh at just the absurdity of why are we actually fighting and they've already had uh that really key discussion in bed at night where they went from sort of uh, uh enemies to being friends in a kind of a, i don't know anyone else here and i'm terrified way Then they come back arm in arm with that beautifully arranged flag that's both their colours. And that is that they have reached an accord. They have decided that war is stupid. They have evolved beyond war. And Ron Pullman's fascist goes, nope, shoot him. Because for someone with that mentality, for those with that mentality, there can be no accord. There can be no solidarity. There can be no agreement And ultimately, there can be no peace. They require war to keep going. They require there to always be an enemy for them to blame for every problem in the world. And they require the firing up of hatred in people for this brand new enemy, usually, and saying, look at these people, they're ruining society. Everything was great before. And his his solution is shoot the puppet. Which is absurd anyway, it's like shoot this wooden boy. (laughs) Like again, everyone's way too cool with Pinocchio being made of wood. But it's just it's a perfect, sad, shitty, Capitan Vidal moment. I've said this before, and I'm waiting to be proven wrong in any capacity, and again, I'm I'm just waiting for anyone to compete to this level. Guillermo del Toro is the greatest filmmaker of our age, and I am so happy to have been here to watch his body of work emerge. And to be able to talk about it with you two. It's been a genuine pleasure and an honour.
3: I have desperately enjoyed... Uh, getting to look deeply at these um, movies, like I like no other director. Like Del Toro is easily the only director that I have like this level of experience with now, and just <sighs> he's incredible. We uh, will
0: bring you back on for the Ralph Bakshi season that will start with Cool World and then just go on to all um, the others.
3: Hell yeah, that sounds great. let's, Sorry. let's do it. I watched the um, Cabinet of Curiosities off of the back of the fact that he was heading it, even though he had very little to do with most of the episodes. And, We've been saving obviously.
0: that and Trollhunters for even the smallest amount of space in our schedule.
3: Yeah, it, it was an excellent time. Uh, I, I really enjoyed those. The last one is very much Del Toro. Like you'll 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 know what I mean by that when you see it. Okay. Um, uh, I, just, so, I love how much he hates fascists. It's me great. too.
0: It's uh, he, he's most definitely the filmmaker that everybody needs and deserves. And I love the fact that having been stymied and held in place by Warner Brothers and and fucked over by Miramax, he's gone. His conclusion is, well, I'm not going to work with the big studio systems. I'm just going to do my thing. And because Netflix are so desperate. They were like, yes, yeah. yes, we'll just just come to our thing and, we'll, you know, we'll be able to say Yema del Toro's Pinocchio, which I don't think was really his idea to call it that, but it's very much got his stamp on it the whole way through. Mm. So, again, I, I go back, I return to the theme of disobedience as a virtue, not a sin that must be purified, and that actually there is there are many, many times when just singing a song about how fascists shit their pants – can actually be a service to the world because it weakens them. And all we need is to weaken them. um, They can be more dangerous when weakened, but ultimately it's our worst demons and we need to prevent them from killing us. Yeah,
1: I was listening to a podcast the other day and they had a snippet from a Ukrainian comedian who's... She was given a show in London recently after having mostly been performing in bomb shelters of late, hmm. and she said uh, something along the lines of "the the enemy of fascism is laughter," That's what because I said. to perpetuate itself, it has to take itself incredibly seriously. Yeah.
0: Spazzatura the monkey, uh, Victoria. Do you know who played this simian? No. Kate Blanchet.
3: Ah, uh, I saw her name in the credits. I was just like, huh. How did is she play? Played?
0: The monkey, obviously. And I it's crabby. not so... like. There's one mm. bit when spazzaturo is talking to Pinocchio. This monkey can't talk, but the monkey talks through the puppets. It's kind of like what Zemeckis was blushingly groping for. Mm. Effectively, it's trying to communicate with him. And, and ultimately, there's a, a scenario where this vicious fox man is beating on this monkey and you notice that spazzatura has got one blind eye and you're like i don't even want to know how that happened but i can pretty much guess pinocchio defends the monkey and then later on the monkey defends pinocchio and when pinocchio was in fact about to be burned at the stake and volp is standing with his back to a cliff i muttered to myself just lie 16 times very very quickly and then you can poke, poke him, him off in the back the cliff. of the head off the cliff. Yes. really really <laughs> fast uh, but that's that is using you know clever overthinking much like it was done in the Zemeckis version to get out of a sticky situation ultimately you have to judge pinocchio by his actions and he defended the monkey and the monkey's not been defended before mm. so it made a difference and ultimately it shouldn't really be about reward anyway. It's ultimately the right thing for him to do.
1: What that comes down to for me, that scene, the reason why I really love it, is that Volpe is saying to Pinocchio that Spezzaturo will stick with him because he is all the monkey has. And because of Pinocchio's behaviour, the monkey knows that's not true. The monkey's questioning yeah, it. Volpe is not all he has, at least not anymore.
0: Ultimately, the downtrodden need to be given some measure of hope and some show of kindness to illustrate that there is not just abuse in the world.
3: And in that moment, Pinocchio is also tied to a makeshift cross, Mm -hmm. pulling full circle to the beginning when he said, but he's made of wood, why does everybody love him? It's like...
0: I actually recall a uh, a Japanese anime version of Pinocchio with blue hair from the 80s where he was crucified in the desert in that. And I was like, this is a bit harsh for a kid's show. Fox and the Cat try to burn him in the uh, 2012 version, and uh, in many versions he gets hanged from a tree by the Fox and the Cat in disguise, so he doesn't know that it was them who did it. They're waiting for him to spit out the five gold coins that uh, the circus master gave him, and he bites off the cat's paw in the book. <laughs> And then later, he meets the cat and the fox, and they go, oh, yeah, the cat's missing a paw because we had to feed it to a hungry wolf. And it's like, Pinot, you can't fall for this one, surely.
1: And he does! Um, Because Victoria was coming on, I wanted to have a go at working out what object...
0: Oh, Del Toro the, the totem had
1: used oh. for his characters.
0: Because we all love this, and Victoria was the one who noticed.
1: Absolutely. And while I, I didn't specifically come up with a, a single item that they carry with them, I did think there are two symbolic pieces that represent Geppetto and Pinocchio, respectively, and that is the clock versus the hourglass. Mm. Okay, so. The hourglass is obviously a far older way of measuring time than the clock is. And the clock is extremely representative of something that is only required by humans. That they only the way that we in mod- in the modern era measure the passage of time would you need a clock for. Uh, an hourglass is perfectly adequate for measuring units of time that that you want to go smaller than well the sun was over here when I started and now it's over there. So um, the clock which represents Geppetto Technically, it will keep going round and round and round indefinitely. However, eventually, it does need human interaction to wind it. Otherwise, it will stop. The hourglass appears to be dependent on humans because humans have to turn it. But as long as it's not broken, it will keep going indefinitely. The only force that needs to act on it is gravity.
3: Mm. And the hourglass is is kind of a unidirectional like in the way you're it's to say the same thing you said but in a slightly different way it's you it's a podcast (laughs) again apparently it's what i do um it's unidirectional so like an hourglass can only run out or at least it can only apparently run out so and and especially when you look at it from the perspective of the cuckoo clock being uh more associated with humanity like you said being that like people kind of go around and around through like cycles until they eventually wind down while the um, hourglass is an artifact of the sphinx the death sphinx which i needed I, i wanted to also put throw this out there because i think it's really important that both of the spirit creatures create rules and then break them like, they, they make rules only so that they can be broken in the same way that the that the hourglass appears to only go in one direction, but it is, like, a trivial task to to flip it over again or recontextualize it. Like, the hourglass itself is, like, curved in a way that its linearity doesn't necessarily belie, if that makes sense. Mm.
1: Yeah.
3: Because um, the, the spirit, the first spirit says that... Um, like I can only bring you back to life once and then in the end shows that that's not true because she can grant Sebastian's wish and the Sphinx says you have to stay here for as long as the hourglass takes and it will get bigger every time uh, unless you want to break it and she like, like unless you break the rules and both of them are like setting up arbitrary rules so that they can be broken by either themselves or pinocchio it's a beautiful movie
1: and that that real subtle underpinning message of society says these rules exist society says these rules can't be broken society says we can't possibly run on anything other than fossil fuel Mm. guess what
0: I noticed a couple of uh, visual references to uh, previous Del Toro films that were uh, clearly uh, intentional. Sebastian J. Cricket really looks like the dragonfly fairies from Pan's Labyrinth, in, just in terms of that. The big eyes. The, sh- the shape and the click, 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 yeah. which, of course, makes... like they Because they turned into fairies, puts him in the same kind of league as the fairy. Both the wood sprite, voiced by Tilda Swinton, and her sister, Death also voiced by Tilda Swinton, have wings festooned with eyes, like the Angel of Death in Hellboy 2. And Sharon's doing the Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth. the thing that was Eyes un-
1: where eyes aren't supposed yeah, to be.
0: Yeah, eyes where eyes aren't supposed to be. And in the case of the Angel of Death and the Pale Man, no eyes where eyes are supposed to be. Indeed. The idea being this creature has eyes, they're just in the wrong place yeah
1: and ultimately According i you. love absolutely love the fact that we never see the sisters faces they yes. both wear masks and we just see under the edge we can see a jaw moving hmm. we know there's something under there but we never get to see what it is
0: also with the this isn't to do with del toro at all but it made us think uh the 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 Almost expressionless faces of the mask, but the incredibly intense eyes glowing made us think of Norrin Rad, the Silver Surfer. And then Sharon said, ooh, a Guillermo del Toro Silver Surfer film, and now I also want one of them. The This, I suppose, can really apply to most versions of Pinocchio, but especially this one. When Pinocchio lies and his nose grows, which in this one happens repeatedly at a time when he's saying, no, I'm not, I'm not lying... The the more organic it starts to look, the more leaves it grows, the more it looks like a snaggled tree branch. The more that there's this implicit threat that he is in fact returning to his original form, and that if he keeps lying, he will actually all of his humanity will drain away,
1: and he'll turn back into a pine tree, just
0: a big old tree. And it's uh, when he gets to its longest, he is able to snap it off inside the belly of the dogfish whale shark monstro um, because none of those lies were real and he was uh, I'm assuming he (laughs) apologised it ends in a way that a Tom Hanks film ends Uh, The Green Mile which I suppose this is a a spoiler for The Green Mile but I kind of have to talk about it
1: the Green Mile has been out for quite some time. I yeah. Think. Okay. If if anybody hasn't seen The Green Mile and really wants to, just I
0: will no, you no. Know, I will steer clear of specificity of who this happens to in The Green Mile and how. But ultimately, what Pinocchio is left with is a lonely vigil. In that his his darting back and forth to the underworld and back and treating all of his deaths as kind of a joke and a lark and uh, that he feels invincible. Uh, it ultimately, as the as death warns him, has dire consequences, or at least it has imp- consequences of great import. He survives beyond Geppetto, his father. He survives beyond Sebastian J. Cricket. He survives beyond Spazzatura, the monkey, who finally gets a home of warmth. Sebastian merely thinks about... Him going out into the world, but not really having a death in store for him, but just whether the world would accept him or not it's a it's a kind of a he he has earned and at the same time, this is his penance, this existence yeah it's
3: it's an incredibly melancholy take on the existential horror that is the concept of immortality
2: hmm.
3: and uh, I, you know all three of us that were watching it last night were in tears by the end just yeah. because of like the sheer like catharsis of the whole ending it was it was incredible
0: and when Mark Comode sat down to breakfast with Guillermo del Toro earlier this year and he asked him about this project uh, del Toro said it's about death which Comode uh, thought brilliant immediately And that last shot where there's a pine cone on a branch and you've got uh, the cricket narrating and saying, we are here and then we are gone. It's beautiful, it's simple, it's brutal, it's terrifying. But at the same time, because it's confronted, it becomes less terrifying.
3: Everything is chaos and all at the end all we have is each other is like such a big part of it and in the end he gets to sing his song about his father yeah um that he was you know the running gag of not ever getting to sing his song um and he gets to play cards with the super cool death rabbits which
0: like, <laughs> those are in the book oh, as the well
1: sign on those yeah they keep turning up in all of these other versions of Pinocchio these we're pole watching.
0: bearer Bunnies they
1: are amazing I love them every version of them that I've seen are just they're fantastic. Mm-hmm.
3: My favorite touch is the matchbook that he's interred in Mm. has a picture of the Death Rabbits on it. Yeah. And it's so
0: perfect <laughs> in various versions the uh, when he meets the blue fairy it's actually a fairy with turquoise hair and she's a young girl originally and then later on she becomes old enough to almost be his mother and she again encourages him to go to school and there's a bunch of bullies who who tease him for being a puppet and she says if you go to school for a year then you can be a real boy and he's doing quite well at school there's a lot of this go to school kids in the book when she first meets him she says, "Okay, I can bring you back to health, but you're gonna have to drink this medicine." And he's like, "Is it sweet or bitter?" And she goes, "It's bitter, but you're gonna have to take it. It's medicine." And he goes, "If you give me a sugar lump, I'll." This is in the uh, animated 2012 version, It's beautifully uh, done. Uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll have that. Then I'll have the bitter. She gives him a sugar lump, and predictably, he goes, "Oh, ooh, I'm okay now." And then his nose grows. Yeah, no, definitely don't need to drink the rest of that medicine. And his nose grows more, and eventually. It grows through the end of the bedstead There's a hole there And it goes out the window And she's just staring at it placidly And he has effectively trapped himself in a lie And uh, that's when the woodpeckers come to uh, peck it away Because effectively he won't take his medicine But in another version Well, in both versions of it, in fact uh, This is in the 2019 one as well uh, she goes. Oh, if you're not going to take your medicine. That's cool. I just uh, get the bunnies in, and the bunnies just come in, going hum, 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 and they've got a coffin there. And it's like, well, I've got to, I've got to give them you now. The, the bunnies won't leave without someone in that coffin. He's like, I am definitely better, and takes his medicine. And it's, it's a, it's a quick, easy way to scare kids. But the specificity of it being bunnies is like, why did you pick this? When uh,
1: you die, bunnies will come and take you away in a coffin. <laughs>
0: To me, it's strangely comforting.
1: Yeah. Especially oh. considering Bunny's association with Easter.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: I,
3: I, I would love to spend eternity playing cards with a bunch of death rabbits. That <laughs> sounds
1: great. Absolutely, yeah. They turn up with a basket of eggs, and then they put you in the basket and take you away. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you should be scared of the Easter bunny.
0: In another deviation from most Pinocchio versions, feeling that the original book sought the domestication of a child's soul in a way that del Toro perceives as blind obedience, del Toro identified Pinocchio's virtue to be the act of disobeying, assuming that while the book seems to favour that kids should obey their parents and be good, this his movie focuses more on discovering yourself and deciding what commandments given to you are acceptable or not. You decide. In del Toro's words, the film consists on numerous... Variations of father-son relationships, such as Geppetto initially refusing to accept Pinocchio as Carlo's replacement, feeling a bit of blame for creating the freakish monster that the town hates. As a kid, Del Toro couldn't accept the original story's apparent Aesop that I didn't know that was a verb, but apparently it is.
1: Yeah, I was a bit confused about Dude,
0: that. Dude, I'm going to e the shit out of I this mean, I
1: mean, from context, I instantly know what they mean, yeah. but it's just an odd word.
0: That there. Pinocchio had to physically change to be loved by his father, hence his decision to have his Pinocchio not turn into a real boy, nor be interested in becoming so. That's the thing. You, you, don't get, you get to the end of the film and then you realise, oh, actually, yeah, no, he wasn't all that desperate to be a real boy all that much. It wasn't about fame. It wasn't about being a real boy. He's just burning with curiosity and he wants to do stuff his morality is shaped by the people he meets and not just blindly taking on board everything they say, but counterpointing one against the other so that he can surmise, no, this fascist is crazy, as opposed to, well, I've been told this by the most recent person to tell me how the world is, so I guess it must be true.
3: All of del Toro's movies is about the humanity and the monster. So the idea of... Yeah, you know, what is essentially the monster, the Frankenstein's monster of this eventually like desiring and wanting to become a real boy would be just so against his instincts. Yeah. I, right? yeah,
0: he should start a monster story school.
3: He needs to make mountains of madness. That's all I want.
0: Yeah. I'm Netflix. assuming uh, that Netflix will give him that since all of the, uh, the oh. YouTube algorithms are favored. This is brilliant. As opposed to this is the worst thing ever, which is the uh, Zemeckis version. Um, but again, it's, it says at the end that uh, uh, Geppetto's journey of accepting Pinocchio for who he is and loving him fiercely, as he did with Carlo, something that reminded del Toro of his relationship with his father, Federico. There's a lot of, in uh, throughout del Toro's work, kind of a reckoning on, on on what appears to be an old man in his head. If you take the old man from Kronos, the old man from uh, The Devil's Backbone, played by the same guy, Federico Lupe, uh, and... I suppose John Hurt's um, father in Hellboy, the and then Hellboy becomes father himself in uh, Hellboy 2. It's uh, much like Spielberg. He's kind of working through his family stuff over and over again.
3: Wasn't his father, like, kidnapped by fascists at one point?
0: He was. He was kidnapped, yeah. uh, and James Cameron helped to pay to get him back.
3: Yeah,
4: so That's
3: See, seems like there might be some themes crossing there.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's themes that are literally themes rather than being disguised as anything. <laughs> and now for a change of pace, Shaun and I came back after we recorded all of this with Victoria for a special section on Bad Pinocchio's.
2: There is a classic tale which shows us what it means to be human. Which shows us how love
1: gives life to everything it touches. And
0: sets us free to explore the world without strings. Okay, here we're gonna talk about the dregs of Pinocchio, the most operatically bad Pinocchios. Pinocchio? Pinocchio. Pinocchio. <laughs> Pinocchi. Pinocchi. Uh, the the dregs. Dregnocchio. These these are. I mean, there, there are going to be people who are like, hey, buddy, I like the 1996 Jonathan Taylor Thomas version. All of these version.
1: will be somebody's favourite.
0: Not the Russian one.
1: Pauly Shaw's mum.
0: Even there, she would be like, nah, my son, he's a wrong I know it. You know it. He shouldn't have been cast as Pinocchio for this one. Okay, so it's two films, one of them made in 1996 with Martin Landau, The Adventures of Pinocchio, which I think was well-intentioned, but comes off as creepy and weird in a way that makes you kind of scream out mm. as opposed to the Benini as Pinocchio one, which was creepy and weird in a way that made you just your flesh crawl and you yeah. didn't want to watch it.
1: You're screaming inwardly.
0: Yeah, inwardly screaming. Yeah, uh, as
1: opposed to outwardly screaming. Yeah,
0: ago uh, uh, the uh, the 1996 one is actually more fun to watch.
1: It is, and it is. There are elements of this which are legit. Like having now seen all of these Pinocchios, I can see. How
0: we ran the Pinocchi gamut. We
1: did. I can see how the storyline follows the beats of the actual original fable mm. and has been expanded upon and they've made slight adjustments and tweaks and uh, got their own quirks going on the cast oh is the
0: cast on this thing
1: un- this is unworthy of the mm. cast list it has
0: you've got Martin Landau there who uh, 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 aside from a industrious career uh, very specifically played, uh, Bella Lugosi, who was Dracula in Ed Wood, the uh, Tim Burton film about Edward Wood Junior., and it, I, I, I note it here because Udo Kier is also in this film, real life actual vampire Udo Kier, who was in the uh, '70s Werner Herzog remake of Nosferatu, but not playing Dracula, playing Jonathan Harker. It's baffling. So you've got. Jonathan Harker, looking like Dracula, trying to, at one point, intimidate a man who played a man who played Dracula. (laughs) I just, my brain went down a Dracula hole, which happens with me. yeah,
1: vampiric ahoy-hoy going on here.
0: (laughs) Vampiric ahoy-hoy is my favourite musical. Anyway, so Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who you may remember as the young Simba, The Lion King, and also if you watched Home Improvement, the Tim Allen show where he talked about wives, am I right? Uh, And then had a friend over a fence. It was a big deal in the uh, 90s, and so Jonathan Taylor Thomas was... He was also kind of a... He was popular, but also kind of a girl-tween heartthrob. Yes. I think the older girls weren't particularly into him because he he was too young, but the younger girls... He he wasn't
1: quite old enough to be in the Corey Club, Mm. but if he was older, he would have been a Corey.
0: And as a result... I feel like even uh, what we're seeing is an actual wooden puppet. So they've gone to the lengths to give us a puppet boy to play Which the puppet. Which is something. So it's that's not nothing. The fact that he's creepy as fuck is kind of by the like part and parcel of being Pinocchio. Yes, indeed. Like, we've seen scenarios where they try to make Pinocchio more adorable, and he he feels less like a puppet <laughs> the more you try to make him you know, a pleasant thing to look at.
1: Yeah, I think one of the one of the elements that early on made me go, oh, this is terrifying, is you see, as Geppetto is making the puppet, you see him paint the eyes. And he mm-hmm. says, We'll give you blue eyes like your papa, and he paints a blue circle on the wooden eye, and it's paint, and you can see it's paint, and then Pinocchio goes through his whole life giving moment there's
0: no blue fairy
1: there's no no there isn't um and then you see pinocchio looking at the world through eyes that now have that filament quality of human irises and it looks like a human's eyes are looking out of this wooden puppet body. Yeah,
0: they unwisely tripped and fell face first into the uncanny valley. <laughs>
2: yes, indeed. I think
0: we hate movies had the best, most honest, and appropriate reaction to this version of Pinocchio.
2: He's—it's my favorite part of the movie. He's like—he's doing the thing, and then he's like, "Ah, there you go. Ah, there you are, Pinocchio. Big blue eyes, like your father. Now." Let's put a smile on that face of yours. (laughs) Dude, he tells a puppet to open wide. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. And he's drilling this fucking puppet's mouth. The most chilling part is the the cat's like being cute around him or whatever. It's like, oh, I think this puppet might be alive. And like he just drills a little tiny like pee hole in this thing. (laughs) Yep. And -hmm. as a mouth before he gets really going on the mouth. And it exhales all this sawdust immediately this thing is alive it's creepy as hell it's and it's just a disgusting. weird like it's a practical effect so you barely notice it but it's just like <sighs> yeah it's like and like blando's just got a fucking sawdust facial yeah. now Pinocchio, i'm going to put these razor blades in your mouth too <laughs> gotta make sure a smile stays on that face uh this thing comes to life immediately yeah. and i gotta tell you i got Nothing but love for the Jim Henson company. Sure. Mm-hmm. They gave me some of the greatest gifts of my childhood. This thing. Nightmare is fuel. Fucking abomination. It's all nightmare fuel. It's disgusting. It's reprehensible. <laughs> and we get to spend it's, 90 minutes with it. It's the dead eyes. <laughs> that yes, do Yes. It. Sure. Always the dead eyes. And yeah. the problem also, when the second it comes to life, like, I don't. I don't remember, again, it's been a while uh, since that pervert showed it in my art class. Mm. Uh, that I've seen the Disney one. I do want to go back to it, but like, um, I feel like when Pinocchio just wakes up, he's like, "Wow, hi, I'm a real boy." As or yep. as, as opposed to like this, uh, 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 <laughs> yeah. struggling to form thoughts. It's is like disgusting. The, it's like
4: the eraser head baby for a <laughs> Dude, minute.
2: It kind of is. It's I is. I didn't make that connection. You saying it right now, I'm like, yep, that is a fucking one-to-one. Uh. <laughs> oh, it's- and then you see, I mean, and then Ge- Geppetto looks at this absolute abomination that should be burned immediately. It's like, Call me Papa. (laughs) That's when you just are like, okay, this person's insane and I can't follow this.
0: There is a point later on that is maybe the grossest, most like skin-crawling bit of any of the Pinocchio films that we've seen, and it's so simple and on paper is fine. Pinocchio sees someone eating cake through a window and the person goes like, ah, and it's like, you have lovely teeth, human teeth. Give them to me. I wish I had teeth. But... Pinocchio then goes into a cake shop and starts helping himself to cakes. That's fine. But when you actually watch a real wooden puppet shoving cream cakes into its wood face, it just, oh, it's like, do you remember those commercials with the Dolmio puppets? Mm-hmm. Where these this felt family of Italians were cooking up a nice ragu and it's like, no, because it would soak into their lovely puppet mouths This is wrong. Everything about this is wrong. And the cream just sits in Pinocchio's flapping wooden mouth, like not going anywhere. And it's like,
2: It's
0: just, it's too much. It's too much. It does a couple of things slightly better than the Zemeckis version. When Pinocchio goes to school, the Lampwick kid turns around and is like, Hey, you ever get... Termites, and then he's like, What are termites? Because he's just, he's a blank slate. He's a sweet kid, um, but like he's just completely oblivious, which I suppose kind of works for a Pinocchio. Yes. Uh, And
1: nobody has satisfactorily explained to me how he has the brain of a
0: newborn Mm -hmm.
1: but can pick up language.
0: Instantly. Oh, the first thing he says is coming through. That's an idiom. Yes,
1: it is. And he
0: says it three times in the film. So these kids tease him, and he whacks Lampwick right in the face, just smashes him with his wooden fist. And the teacher turns around and is like, did you hit Lampwick? And he immediately starts lying. No, I didn't hit Lampwick. Nose grows. Nobody hit Lampwick. Lampwick hit himself. And eventually the nose is like nose to nose with the teacher, and Pinocchio starts to sneeze, and the teacher's like... Please, please, please. And he sort of waves at the the head boy, the one who gets all the questions the right, monitor. to to run and grab him a handkerchief so that he can attend to the front of this nose with a handkerchief. And I'm like, step out of the way. You are going so far out of your way for this bit. Just move your head. But then he gets sneezed and sawdust ghouls goes all over him. It's like a, a explosion in a wood factory. Do they make wood factories? <laughs> Rob Schneider is in this film. De-derp,
1: de-derp, de-derp. Did
0: not need to be in this film.
1: No, he did. Rob. Okay. You could say that there about so every, every single Rob Schneider say that film. About,
0: yeah. Uh, but he's paired up with Bebe New Earth, and they are the fox and the cat. But in this, the fox is the dumbass, and the cat is the wily one. I just watching her. I'd always kind of carried a torch for Bebe New Earth, but she is straight up hot in this. <laughs> She's wearing kind of a, a a big Regency dress, but it's a little bit ragged, and so she's a little bit kind of a of a of a dodgy geezer of a a, a cat, and she's not an actual cat. They just have cat like and fox like features, which I think is quite a good way to yeah. move forwards if you've got a largely human cast, um, and they. <sighs> It always baffles me that they're like, the only way we are going to make money is by exploiting this wooden child. Like, they have no other schemes on their plate.
1: Like, the effort they put in to scamming Pinocchio. There's other ways that you could be making money that are less hassle than this.
0: Udo Kier, similarly, is really well cast as the Stromboli, um, like, the, the, the ringmaster of the circus... You you were out of the room when he did this. He munches down chili peppers and then breathes not exactly fire but like hot air. Like that's his thing. And Udo Kier always commits to every role he's Absolute given. he
1: does. Yeah. Bless
0: the man. Yeah. Bless the vampire. <laughs> No, don't bless him. He'll, you'll turn him to, to, to dust. But yeah, no, he's, he's like, I am a villain. I, am, you know. And so when Pinocchio causes complete chaos in this cake shop, and um, you also get to see the British comedian Dawn French's ample décolletage during this point, she's got a dress that's barely holding them in, and she's in court, and they're, they're, they're like, they want to sue Geppetto for what he says is three years' wages.
1: Yeah. So there's
0: ten thousand drachmas or something.
1: Pinocchio reps. Or oh, lira. Uh, their display cakes, yeah. and this includes a cake that she's made for somebody high up in mm. the in the town who she was cheating out of a vast amount of money. I mean, ultimately, the amount that Pinocchio, sorry, that Geppetto is fined...
0: Is grossly is, disproportionate. Yeah,
1: because she's inflated the value of the cakes, and it's mm. it's all sort of this whole thing about the, the, the structure, the system of the town is corrupt... And unfortunately, because Geppetto is poor, he is the one who gets dumped.
0: Yeah, he gets told he's got to pay three years wages all in one go or go to debtor's prison, to which you said, and how is he going to make money that way?
1: Indeed, yes. Because while they did make you work in debtor's prison, I'm pretty sure that the, the money he would have got wouldn't even have been as much as he would of making Little Wooden Boys.
0: Kind of like the prison system in the modern era. Anyway, Udo Kier comes along and goes, no, I will buy this little wooden boy for my circus of puppets. And they make this kind of, like, German opera with puppets, and Pinocchio's there kind of singing with a sword up like that. But, like, the, the chorus is so into it, it actually reminded me of Muse. Like, it's like,
2: whoa, the Pinocchio!
0: And I was like, this is quite a good set piece. The whole thing devolves.
2: It does. I see gold out there, little pieces of gold.
1: I had a question at this point though because here's the problem I know what Jonathan Taylor Thomas singing sounds like it sounds like Simba
0: yeah going to be a mighty king and
1: because they got somebody else to do his singing lines I couldn't I my brain kept telling me that's not that pinocchio
0: this happened off I think Simba might have had a different kid doing his voice oh, for the singing.
1: Right. Okay. That would make s- that that would.
0: I seem to remember that. I
1: still don't think the person singing in this was Jonathan Taylor Thomas. It sounded like a woman.
0: Yeah. Okay. Confirmed. Jason Weaver was the voice of young Simba when singing, and Joseph Williams was the voice of. Older Simba when singing in place of Matthew Broderick. Donald Glover did his own singing. Um, But
1: it was weird because Pinocchio's mouth's moving and I'm going, that's not him.
0: But my point about the classroom that I started on a while back was, Pinocchio gets thrown out of the class for pulling shit. Not just because he's a wooden puppet boy. Ergo, this, this has one up over the Zemeckis version in that... All they needed to do for the new Disney one is have him pull similar shenanigans and then get told to go and stand in the hall. And then Honest John and the cat come along and go, ah, been thrown out of school, have you? And he's like, I'm fairly certain I'm supposed to just stand out here for a bit. No, 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 no. You've been thrown out of school. And then they take him to the next part. Ergo, it's not a situation quite so much of, All of society failed Pinocchio, and he literally had no choice in this matter.
1: Yeah. Ultimately, Pinocchio, as a a sort of a metaphorical story, as we discussed at length, is about a child that does not fit into the shapes that society is trying to carve him into. Uh, uh,
0: Also, Jiminy Cricket is called...
1: Pinocchio-shaped peg in a square hole.
0: Sorry. The cricket in this is called Pepe and Oh he's terrible. He's terrible. Describe him.
1: Okay, so to begin with, one thing I did like is that they open with the original idea for the cricket, which is that he's dead. It is the ghost of a cricket that is Pinocchio's conscience. And therefore, it is in fact interpretable as a manifestation of Pinocchio's own guilt and the developing of his superego stroke conscience in a natural way. But there it stops. Uh, so they have the...
0: He was voiced by David Doyle, who was Bosley in Charlie's Angels.
1: yes. Given that they have gone out of their way, as you said, to have an actual wooden puppet as Pinocchio, they have, however, done Pepe as a CG cricket who looks like an early rendering of the grasshoppers in A Bug's Life. A Bug's Life. Which
0: came out like four years after
1: this. I did actually say the animation of the cricket is quite good. There's not enough of it Mm. because they kind of give up on him fairly early on. He's, he's sort of hanging around and saying yeah. things, but you're not really seeing him do much.
0: So effectively, if they'd managed to get the textures looking right, yes. and maybe it made him look a little bit more like a puppet himself... Yeah,
1: and he he does kind of look like that when they're so at So pretty much Del Toro's... Exactly. Cricket. But when they zoom in close, you can see it's just terrible. And they've got these sort of scenes where he sits behind the fishbowl and you can just see these big, huge, massive eyes. eyes. And it looks really horrible.
0: But the fact that he's a manifestation of Pinocchio's guilt and that being connected with the conscience, that's neat.
1: It is, yes. And it's all done from a an inference. Approach. Mm. They don't explicitly say this out loud.
0: Yeah. And at one point, Pinocchio becomes disillusioned with the modern world and goes back to the forest, wraps himself up in ivy and pretends to be a tree. And I thought I've not seen this in any other version of Pinocchio, and it's really sad. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: it is. And the cricket's like, "Come on, get up! You gotta, you, know, you gotta go back into town." And I'm like, "No, leave the puppet alone. This he is, was fine it, as a bit of wood."
1: It does have this sense that Geppetto. Because because the way that this magical wood came about in the beginning is that Geppetto was in love with a woman from the town and carved his name, his initials and hers in a heart on a tree and then the tree is struck by lightning and it is infused with a combination of life from the lightning and love from Geppetto's uh, carving and creates this little wooden boy so effectively Pinocchio is the child of Geppetto and Leonora even though Leonora never knows this and that's a whole question mark but anyway (laughs) the tree itself breaks the log with the heart carved into it breaks off and that's what Geppetto takes home and ends up carving into Pinocchio. Now all of this is sort of so much from the original story mm. but it this bit where he goes back and wraps himself in the ivy means that it is then given this sense of Geppetto having ripped this piece of wood from where it's meant to be and turned it into something else because he was lonely and he wanted a child there's no uh, there's, there's sort of a a slight judgment of him there that this is not done for the child's benefit this is not for pinocchio to have life Pinoc- this pinocchio does not really express a great deal of personal want
0: none of them do you don't
1: you don't really but you don't even get the i want to be a real boy mm-hmm. not really what you get is i want to go back to the fucking forest <laughs> because their people left me alone
0: yeah and, Which uh, is a
1: different tone from all
0: the others. There's an existential element to it, because as he's walking through the forest, he goes, Mmm, smell that pine. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think We Hate Movies covered this and said, that's like walking through a forest made of flesh.
1: Yes, and going, mmm, smell those kidneys.
0: <laughs> ah, however, the grossness and body horror does not stop there. No. We move there on to uh, Pleasure Island, where all the naughty boys go. And, like, they're going on roller coasters and Udo Kier sort of sings a little song quietly to them. Like, yes, boys, open up your mouths and drink from me. And like this, this Greek statue of Udo Kier spits blue water out. And as they're going through the tunnels in in a a wooden roller coaster, that it just goes in their mouths. And I'm like this, there's no way that this is not stomach churning for everyone sane. (laughs) Good God. They start turning into donkeys and Pinocchio tradition. Pinocchio gets grabbed by the ears and literally breaks them off like wooden donkey ears break off his head. And then Udo Kia ends up falling into the water and then leaps out going. Blarg! and it's like he's brundleflied at this point this is not the first time and definitely not the last time that this felt like david fucking cronenberg and he's like runs past the kids like out of my way half transmuting into a practical donkey prosthetics it's disgusting (laughs) there's also a bit where um the kids are just firing off guns And one of them fires a blunderbuss through Pinocchio, which creates holes in his body. And Pinocchio freaks out and starts talking, but just covers the holes with his fingers. And then his voice comes out like the sound of an ocarina. And I thought, that's so imaginative and twisted and not well thought out and never referenced again. No. Exit stage left, pursued by a whale. He ends up in Monstro. And this is where the body horror just becomes so repulsive that you actually almost want Pinocchio to stay wooden and not become a thing of meat and flesh because these almost uterine but way more butcher's shop or abattoir walls on the inside of Monstro are so much more realistic than they have to be. It's a nightmare. It is a nightmare, and at there's points where Geppetto and, and Pinocchio are sort of looking out through this really, really thin tunnel, esophagus. And I'm like, you like, this is not the same scenario of you could park a boat in here. This is a very claustrophobic place. Like, they are merely food to be digested. It again, it makes you think too much. And eventually they get out, and Pinocchio uh, Pinocchio does so by lying, saying he doesn't love his father da 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 and then punches a hole through Monstro with his nose like just it extends out of his mouth and Monstro freaks out and uh, and spits them up but that's what del Toro did in the end like he gets out by lying, using it uh, to his advantage so i'm like I'm sure I've seen that somewhere before it was here and then he turns it into Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a sweet kid and Martin Lando being happy is nice to see. And then he meets the cat and fox again. And they're like, we we, we feel like we know you. And then he, he says, if you go to Pleasure Island and drink the water, holding a stone, you'll get money and you won't turn into a donkey. And they go off clapping their hands and doing that. And I'm like, what a waste of gorgeous baby, New Earth. But Rob... Carry on you walking.
1: Carry yeah, we will drown you in the bay soon as look at you, my friend.
0: Speaking of irritating comedians, <laughs> folks, the poorly Shaw sure Pinocchio that came out the oh, same year oh. as the Zemeckis version and the Del Toro version, they also ran the true, a true story, Pinocchio. There you go. Now, what should we name you? Maybe Leonardo. No, he'd grow up to be a turtle who only cares
2: about pizza. I don't believe my eyes. Your name will be Pinocchio. Father, when can I leave to be on my own? I've got the whole world to see. You are too special, Pinocchio. The world is full of people who could harm you. The Timeless Story. Our last few shows barely had any audience. We just need to come up with a new act. Ooh. <laughs> come on! You thought you knew. The coach is headed for the clip. She's going to fall. Hold on! Ah. Senorina! <laughs> halley Left it. <laughs> <gasps> Are you made of wood? You will become a star, my boy. Ladies and gentlemen, Pinocchio.
4: It looks like our wooden Romeo is in love with
3: Bella. Did you seriously think that you and Bella?
0: <laughs> There is a fairy. Her name is Lucilda. I'm sure she could turn you into a real boy.
2: Let's go, Tibble. Great adventures away! Take the adventure. I did want to see the world, but I realized she is the most beautiful thing the world has to offer. With no
0: strings attached.
2: Pinocchio is not just a puppet, (laughs) he's a
0: miracle. And miracles are priceless.
2: That went straight over my tongue. Featuring the voices of I'm made out of high-quality material. John Heater. I
0: promise to look after him at all times.
2: And Tom Kenny. I just need you, Pinocchio. Uh,
4: Pinocchio! You'll be a star someday, no doubt. I
2: don't need another human performer. I need a talking puppet. We'll put on a show that won't soon forget. Pinocchio a true story. Gotcha! You've only seen my good side. But now, you'll see my bad side! (laughs) Mama Mia! Riding up the
0: world. There is a horse named Tybalt, voiced by John Heda, who was Napoleon Dynamite. And one of the first things he says is, you've all heard this story, but so much of it is lies. Have you ever seen a nose grow right in front of you? I'm like, The nose-growing thing is less miraculous than a lot of the other stuff in Pinocchio. And my God, this whole movie has characters being way too fine with one thing that's miraculous, but not another. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the talking cat that has a gun in its finger, like, it fires off, like, pew-pew, and things explode. So it's got mind guns. It says... There's a talking
2: puppet. It's a freak,
0: and it, it keeps trying to point everyone towards this puppet so that they can vilify him. Like no one pay any attention to the talking cat with the gun finger. It's the puppet that's the real freak. Or the talking
1: here. horse that's telling the whole
2: story.
0: Yeah, the talking horse that Pinocchio asks to be his father. After a while, this this thing got memed, like specifically around TikTok. There was there was very much the repeat of. Dad, I want to go out and be on my own. Paulie Shaw's voicing of Pinocchio makes him, hands down, the most annoying, except maybe Roberto Benini. I feel like Benini, like you could laugh in a kind of a what way at at Paulie Shaw, but you can't laugh at Benini because Benini's trying to make you but laugh. You
1: see, for me, that's better because at least the the sheer horror of the Benini. <laughs> Is it gives me something to... Like, oh, I hate you so much, it gives me energy. And, and try to ask why this... You know how, like, the, the answer to 99% of questions... Is money. Be, the answer to this one can't possibly be money. <laughs> it, it it can't have made anything. It, it can't have made anything except maybe for the honest John... Guy in the alleyway holding out his overcoat with copies of the Russian version of the tape to Paulie Shaw,
0: the tape. saying,
1: "I give you Pinocchio now, you get something later. I don't know what. Nose, maybe." There would there was this <laughs> kind of exchange going on in a back alleyway, and Paulie Shaw came off the worse out of it.
0: Uh, I've, I've noted here, Tybalt narrates to the audience as though they are tied to a chair. It's quite an aggressive form of narration.
1: It is, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, accusing Paulie sure. He didn't direct the thing.
0: Oh, I know, I know. Like, ultimately, like, voice directed. This was a pre-existing movie, mm. voiced in Russian, that they bought in an American,
1: question mark,
0: cast to do an international version.
1: Yeah. Think the Kate Winslet Christmas Carol?
0: Yeah, the one with Nicolas Cage. Mm. Yeah, okay. Uh, And unfortunately, it's it's a it's a horrible job from the uh, the dub team. There's there's uh, like Curtis Connor did a fantastic video about this, and in fact, he made so many fine points that most of what we would have to say about this film would be repeating Curtis. So I'm going to play you a highlight
4: reel. And this is where we get the iconic line. Father, tell me, when can I leave to be on my own? I've got the whole world to see. Yeah, just such a weird, weird line delivery, man. <laughs> when can I leave to be on my own? Yeah, this line is just like such a great example of like why this was such a weird casting choice. Pinocchio is supposed to be a child, a little boy. Like listen to the voice of the original Pinocchio a kid. Polly Shore is 54 years old. The line is supposed to be, I'm a real boy! Not, hand me that IPA, I hate my wife! Straight up, this is like the Grease movie, but in voice form, you know? You know the movie Grease, when everyone's like, hey, I'm a, f- I'm fucking 15 years old, look at these forehead wrinkles, bada bing, bada boom. But anyways, so, you know, I'm a little lost, but what do I Luckily, Pinocchio swoops in at the last second and saves Bella with his epic acrobatic skills. And let's see how they repay our good friend Pinocchio. Mamma mia! A wooden boy! Pinocchio! What have you done? You killed him! <laughs> Holy shit, how baller would it be if they just straight up ended the movie right here? You
1: killed him.
4: Now that that would take balls. balls. That'd be the best fucking Pinocchio movie ever made if they did that. But no, there's still another hour of this movie because guess what? Pinocchio's fucking bulletproof apparently. <laughs> I think I'm okay. Also, it's so crazy for a talking like humanoid cat to be like, ah, a wooden boy. He's a uh, talking wooden puppet. You're a cat, man. I'm not saying this cat should be shot as well, but you know, if those who live in glass houses should get curtains or, I don't know the, I don't know the saying.
2: Well, my friend might be made of wood, but someone here
4: has sausages for brains. Who's the real monster here? What? <laughs> I maybe I'll talk about this now. It's another weird part of this film. Since it's an English dub, I feel like they tried to match the words and like cadence and timing to the character's lips, but like since it's a Russian movie and it's in Russian, which is not English. Dialogue is just so weird and unnatural. But then again, so is Pinocchio, so I guess it makes sense. Alive! Once Pinocchio recovers from the gunshot, Major Foco offers him and Tibble a spot in their circus because they're super impressed by the gymnastics from Wood and Cody Simpson. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Pinocchio rushes back home. To ask Geppetto if he can leave to join the circus. And obviously, nothing happened in the story to motivate Geppetto to change his mind at all, so obviously he's gonna say no, right? You can go. Okay. Thank you, Daddy. Uh, never mind. Let's go, Tybalt! Great adventures await! What the hell was that? Pinocchio came to life and was immediately the most annoying thing of all time. I'm a boy and I'm alive! alive. <laughs> like, there's no way that was in the script. There's no way someone, some guy typed skitty skiddy, skiddy. <laughs> so they end up asking if Lucilla can turn Pinocchio into a real boy, but she says, I'm sorry, my sweet boy. I'm afraid there is nothing I can do to help. I don't know if they, like, forgot to get the voice actor to like re-record a line but i'll just play it it sounds really weird remember this the best miracles in this life always happen Without any help from us, fairies. Oh, Without I have any, any help, help from, from us, fairies. fairies. Like she doesn't sound like that at any other part of the movie. Don't get discouraged just yet. Without any help from us, fairies. I I don't know what is wrong with it, but it sounds like they went to like text to speech MP3 downloader and like used the Borat voice. Now we cut back to Magifoco. He's screaming at the fox and the cat because he's upset that Pinocchio will find Lucilda and become a real boy, and that'll be bad. Because who who gives who gives a fuck about a regular acrobat? That's not impressive. They need to be made of wood mm. Do you really believe in magic, boss?
0: We get told by the person who, was, uh, who said The way up to her house is by evil spirits uh, That she stopped doing fairy stuff and granting wishes Because everyone just kept asking for money Or love And it's like What else could you possibly wish for? If you if you wish for something that money can't money could buy anyway, just cut out the middleman and ask for money. It's a practicality rather than asking the fairy for something which literally doesn't exist. Or uh, give me a challenge, something that doesn't exist well, that I can get for you. Yeah, magic, a whale that flies. It,
1: magic goes the other way. If you go, if you look for. Money by magical means. No, the money is supposed to get you something. Look for the thing that you actually want. Mm. Ask another question, go a little deeper. What do you actually want? And the whole, oh, all these people who just keep looking for huh, love. love.
0: But that's the thing, if you look what? deeper, like if you're asking for money, if you actually have enough for yourself, what you're really asking for is a sense of security. So either you don't feel secure in your life, which is a completely understandable situation to feel, especially now, or you feel lonely, and under those circumstances, asking for someone to love who you can love back is not a condemnable action. Either way, this fairy doesn't want none of it. She just wants... A, man, like a man's like, I wish this puppet was real. Aha, that sounds like a challenge for the fairy.
4: I
1: am so bored of all these people coming into this McDonald's asking for burgers and, and fucking fries. fries. That's all anybody ever wants. Give me a challenge. No one ever comes in here asking me for a filet mignon steak. No, that's because it's fucking McDonald's.
0: <laughs> She's the McDonald's of fairies. Either way, her accent is troublesome
1: yes bizarre weird couldn't pin it down Fluctuates. every line seems to be from a different part of the world
4: without any help from us fairies
0: there is kind of another girl who's a fairy uh, and the girl who's a circus performer and has blue hair she seems to take a shine to pinocchio but at one point she gets told that um he's gonna get burned for firewood if she doesn't get rid of him so she's like get out of here i don't even and then we find out that the police chief is her real father and I'm like
3: that was of
1: all the fucking side stories side you've
0: got to put that never together never got
1: any elaboration at all
0: and what Pinocchio's actual skill is is riding on the back of Tybalt while standing up and doing backflips just jumping into the air and doing backflips and he does it over and over and over again like he goes round and round in a a country stable he goes round and round in a circus and he just does the same fucking backflip the same animation over and over again what about that means he has to be a puppet to do it and again realistically speaking what about that means he can't be a puppet to do it The whole, I got strings to hold me down, like, the whole, like, I'm a puppet and yet I can move independently, that's the miraculous thing. I can ride a horse and do backflips. No one's ever thought that's how we do a Pinocchio film, but that's how this one's made. He may be a puppet, but somebody here has sausages for brains. Who's the real monster here? Nothing about that sentence makes any kind of sense. I wonder if it's some kind of poorly translated Russian idiom, but they're still equating being an idiot with being bad, being evil and a terrible person. Unless it's John Heider summoning up a Balkan curse. This whole film was lost in translation. Now, the final note I've got here is, Pinocchio is a whining little shit. Yes. I'd say the uh, one where Bernini plays Geppetto is one of the absolute best Pinocchios that most people have never heard of. The one where Bernini plays Pinocchio is a piece of horrendous performance art. The one with Jonathan Taylor Thomas and uh, Martin Landau is maybe the worst Pinocchio to watch in an enjoyable fashion and go, oh my God, all the time. And the biggest waste of an amazing cast. And the poorly sure one is a train wreck in slow motion, that just wears you down. It looks so ugly, and it performs so dumbly.
1: Mm. Don't watch this one. Just watch the Curtis Connors video on it.
0: Yeah, Curtis Connors video on Pinocchio. And, of course, there's that rap he does at the end, which I will play for you now. Bear in mind how much dignity Curtis sacrificed for the video of this. He's romping around in big leather shorts and a Tyrolean hat with a long nose attached to his weird rat mustache. Greasy, straggly mullet hanging down. It's hilarious and so is he.
4: You know what? The original Pinocchio would fucking hate this new Pinocchio. He would hate his guts. I think he would hate him enough to write a whole diss track about him. And it'd probably sound something like this. (laughs) Ah oh you think you're the real Pinocchio? (laughs) That's a fucking lie, dude. Here's a true story. Hey, look. I'm sick and tired of these bitches thinking they the ones. My body's made of paper. You know I got the funds. You got nothing, boy. I'll smoke you like a chimney. For you it's crickets, and I ain't talking Jiminy I'm pushing Pia's and Pinocchio. Huh? a line from my ride out of Tokyo. You living in the backwoods, but you know we smoking those. If you had a parachute, bitch, I would be poking holes. Yeah. Knock on wood, bitch, you know the sound. What? I'm a baby wooden boy, but I'm not kidding. Uh-huh. I got no strings to hold me down. Yeah. Get Bella on my face, I'm a star fibbing. Thank you, daddy. You know, when I was stuck in the belly of that sperm whale, I was like, hold up, hold up. <laughs> this isn't a sperm whale. It's, it's your, your mom. mom. It's- these nuts motherfucker there's only room for one you must die john tucker yeah. i say you need to calm down just like taylor swift would i'm a trojan horse bitch you just some driftwood yeah. you think i'm done bitch i'm going round two i'm bound to pound you under the ground dude sound cool not to you but everyone around you call you water cause i just fucked around and drowned you hey let me ask you equestrian yeah, you're holding all these l's bro you're probably sore <laughs> I want all the drama, just call me a thespian But why the fuck you got the voice of Polly Shore? I'm gonna spray you like that cap, you ain't never coming back Getting splinters while you're sucking on my wooden ball sack You an acrobat? Good, cause you about to get jumped Why you thought you had a shot? I'm stumped
0: So let us finish off by talking about a couple of other really good Pinocchios that most people haven't seen. I'm just going to, uh, I will say one last thing about the uh, the horrendous, don't even try to look for it and you won't be able to, Roberto Benini version from 2002. He's going to die soon, and that's sad, because uh, he's 70 now. But at the same time, it's kind of beautiful that the 2019 film actually asked him to come back, because this thing was a disaster, and... Uh, you you can't get hold of it, and he was actually asked, you know, be Geppetto in this version of Pinocchio, and he is almost unrecognisable as the version that we just saw asking about. The English-dubbed recut version by Miramax was met with critical panning in the United States. On a review aggregator, Rotten Tomatoes, the English-language version of the film with 55 reviews has a rare approval rating of zero, meaning no favourable reviews whatsoever, receiving an average rating of 2.70 out of 10. The site's consensus states Roberto Benigni misfires wildly in this adaptation of Pinocchio, and as a result, it's an unfunny, poorly-made, creepy vanity project." Among other issues the English dub was heavily criticized with many critics also finding that Brecken Meyer who is great in stuff like Robot Chicken and Clueless, but not necessarily uh, voicing Roberto Benigni. Being chosen as Benigni's voice was inappropriate and that he was too young. Yeah, Meyer is too young to be convincing as a 50-year-old man pretending to be an 8-year-old boy who's wood. But you are asking everyone's brains to jump through too many hoops at this point. And also, notably, they don't bother with makeup for Benigni in the 2002 version. He's just a dude in a clown outfit.
1: There is no wood on that boy ever anywhere.
0: And yet, the 2019 one, the kid is constant, like, the texture of his face, I was like, that's CG. That is a CG boy. But... There's barely any CG in that film. They rely so much on practical. This boy's got makeup on that makes him look like he's got a textured wooden face, chipped and cracked. And he's got these... It's on Amazon right now, on Prime. Who would guess that of the streaming wars, everyone would make a big fuss about Disney, because they really, really didn't like what they're doing, and a huge fuss about Netflix. But no one's talking about what Prime went, oh yeah, we got this from 2019. But... That is what I would suggest you folks do as homework. There was there was a bit when he meets the fox and the uh, cat, and they're just because the Benini version they were they were just poorly made up and did not look like particularly. They just looked like a, a dude in who was trying to be a fox for kids at a party.
1: The cat in the hat's face.
0: The cat in the hat?
1: Was kind of what it reminded me
0: of. Oh, shit, right. Well, anyway, so they're in the countryside, and they see Pinocchio walking along going, I really want to find my father because I want to give him five gold pieces. And it's like, you can't be this. But then they, they jump around and go find him. And they're standing on a green, real hill, and the camera's shooting up towards the fox. It's really difficult to describe why this is the case, but looking at his you know, beautifully practically made up face, his straggly hair, you could see the actor working through the makeup. His coat looks really worn, the sky behind him is really blue, but the grass that they're walking on isn't necessarily super green so that it doesn't it doesn't have that over super vibrancy. I thought this looks like the cinematography of Andrew Lesney in The Lord of the Rings. Folks who know who I am will know that me comparing anything to Lord of the Rings is praise indeed. This takes an almost Weta-like sensibility in the processing of a Pinocchio story. And we can't really talk about it that much and like give it its own show because it's it's Pinocchio again. And it, it sort of conforms more to the book. And much like del Toro's version, the uh, director of this... Had been doing Pinocchio stories since he was six years old and just really, really, really wanted to do this. I feel like in another parallel universe, he got to do that for Disney, and someone went, Whoa, whoa, whoa back off him. Don't step in and say, We're going to do, like, make this as close to the 1940 Pinocchio as possible. Just let him do his thing. And then loads of people will have seen this, let's face it, Italian language film that absolutely needs to be seen in Italian with subtitles.
1: There is uh, an English dub. I don't dub. think
0: that would have ever worked for Disney, but no. these sensibilities wrapped around an American production would have potentially made for something a lot more appealing than the regurgitation of the Zemeckis version.
1: Yeah. Uh, there is an English dub of this version, but the director was very specific about how he wanted to demonstrate how good Italian filmmakers were at dubs. He went out of his way to get italian voices to mm. do the the english dubs and in fact the kids do their own english dubs. Mm. so the voices will still be pretty good
0: there's a lot of work for short actors in the movie they get to play the uh, puppets in the uh the, the circus troupe to the point where you're like it's really vague as to whether these puppets are real and alive mm. like pinocchio they or if they're just puppets yeah
1: they are Behaving like Pinocchio in terms of moving around and talking and mm. hugging each other, but they have strings attached.
0: They're very physically expressive as playing the rabbits when they, they have to go away. They're like, ugh, and they're really disappointed they don't get to take away a wooden boy mm. in their coffin.
1: And the cricket.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. The, the cricket is also played by a, uh, a a short actor, and the girls, the multiple uh, actresses who played the various iterations of the fairy, whose best friend is a snail, and it's this magnificent giant snail shell on the back of a, a lady. And the the colour scheme is very kind of muted beige, mm. as opposed to sort it's of the pastels. big bright for kids yeah. stuff. This is ultimately, it's not really a Pinocchio film for kids. Maybe like Italian kids. But again, it's that same sensibility as Lord of the Rings going, no, 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 this thing's actually got stuff to say. Let's watch it as opposed to this is just for kids or let's brighten this up and throw it into, you know, 60 frames per second. Oh, no, we can't use model work anymore because the 3D doesn't uh, accommodate with it. And trying to turn The Hobbit into the kind of ideal post-Avatar blockbuster that it was pitched as. And it's the irony upon irony of that they had Del Toro there, that they could have had Del Toro's two-part Hobbit series, that, again, people would have, uh, have appreciated and welcomed, I feel, even if it wasn't exactly like the version of Peter Jackson's Weta. So this is all just a big roundabout way of saying there are other versions of Pinocchio out there. The 2012 animated version is very short, very sweet, and uh, it's it's got that abstraction side of it where, you know how people were commenting that The Lions and The Lion King by John Favreau looked too real, a lot of folks were able to zero in on the fact that The Lion King is actually quite abstract. It shows you shapes and colours that represent Africa rather than giving you every blade of grass in perfect photorealism. And this animated uh, Pinocchio from 2012, and there have been so many animations, but this one steps above the others by having a level of kind of defying physicality about it there are
1: several very dreamlike musical sequences Mm.
0: but as a result it feels timeless it feels like it could have been made in the 60s the 70s the 80s the 90s the 2000s the 2010s or just now Mm. and very few animated anythings have that sense of timelessness because you can always kind of put a a pin in, this is when Disney switched to the Xerox process and it looks like 101 Dalmatians as opposed to the luscious ink and paint of the uh, 40s and early 50s. Yeah,
1: and it's definitely the case with CG because you can look at it and go, well, this is good enough that it definitely didn't happen before Mm. this year and this looks a little bit ropey so that means it was somewhere between the late 90s and the, the mid
0: 2000s. Or this looks like somewhere between Frozen and Fortnite so it just came out. And look, everything now looks like that. Video games and animated movies. It's alarming. Yeah.
3: When we were watching the Zemeckis film, I was like, if he breaks into a Fortnite dance during the No Strings on Me, we're <laughs> showing ourselves. Um, but he didn't. So <laughs> mentioning all of this, all these, these things... I was I was going to make a joke about a video game adaptation of Pinocchio because, like, what's the most absurd thing I could think about for an adaptation? And that made me think, I wonder if there ever was a video game adaptation of Pinocchio. And I regret to inform everyone uh... that they are working on it. It is... Uh, I'm not going to tell you the name of it until the end because it is just too perfect.
0: Inspired, the Erotic Adventures of Pinocchio.
3: <laughs> inspired by the familiar story of Pinocchio... This is an action, souls-like game set in a dark world. Guide Pinocchio on his unrelenting journey to become human. The title of this, coming in 2023, is The Lies of P. And I just...
0: Not you, Tom Hanks.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I didn't know what to do with this information, so I had to share it.
0: And now we all know. That's
1: fine. No, no, no. What did we say? When things are shared, they become less sinister.
0: No, it's the other way around. Problem shared is a problem (laughs) halved. No, it's. You're just spreading (laughs) it around now.
3: Share a burden. Like to. This is like
0: a virus shared, it's (laughs) a virus halved. No, it's not. Uh, uh, uh. Well, thank you.
3: Well, you're welcome for this this horrible <coughs> mimetic virus that I have now put yeah. in your head. Well, I look forward to coming back for the Trilogy for No One, where we do Fritz the Cat, Wizards, and then Cool World. <sighs> thank uh, you
0: for not saying the racist one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I just said the ones I've actually seen.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> right, um, thank you so, so much. It's been so long, Victoria. We have been oh wanting God. to get you back on, but you've been so busy and I have just left you to your own devices. Uh, but it's I really funny. hope you come back on again soon.
3: Hey, I, you know me. I always love to be here and chat with you, too.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you have anything to plug or pitch or recommend to people on top of all the various <gasps> Pinocchio
3: homeworks? Oh. Kinda, sorta. I uh, it was back in April, but I was actually interviewed on the "It Could Happen Here" podcast for a two-parter. Okay. That was pretty cool. I actually have another podcast that I can plug that I did a thing on.
0: Does it have a number for that episode?
3: I sh- super wish, but the, it's a week. It, it's a it comes out five days a week, so uh, it's in April. And if you search for my name, it should come up. Victoria she-
0: Begrieve in April of two thousand and twenty-two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, we will be back next week. Hopefully, not with any Pinocchio-related stuff.
1: His we'll nose be... is growing, folks.
0: So, I've been Alex Shaw.
1: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And fuck fascists. <laughs> no, don't. No, no, no. don't. No. Don't. Don't. Don't fuck fascists. Let me try that one again.
3: Throw milkshakes at fascists.
0: Yeah. I've been Alex Shaw.
3: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And throw, throw milk milkshakes at fascists. Once again, a massive, big thank you carved in a tree to everybody who supports us every month on Patreon. And we carved individual hearts in the bark whilst also planting four new trees for sustainability to commemorate our $15 sponsors. Thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandra Vargas, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy Dan Mayer Daniel Salguero Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman David Sheely Finbar Nicole Frankie Punsy, Greg Downing Jameis Enright Jesse Ferguson Joe Crow Joel Robinson Johan Clausen, Joe Gluck Josh Waster Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey Lorraine Chisholm Marty Polmeyer, Matthew A. Siebert Michael Hasco Robbie Crow Sarah Montgomery Timu hellas Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Junius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras and Valencia Burns.
1: Okay. <laughs>